the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is Ron Geyer with more End Time Insights. Today, we're going to get done with uh, verse 7, a review of verse 6 on the book of Revelation, chapter 2, where he was talking about Jesus, talking about his church, the church at Ephesus, a great church. I know we've got all these names that we associate with the church. Ephesus, the church that left its first love. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Thyatira, uh, Pergamus, the compromising church. Thyatira, the corrupt church. I mean, you go on and on and on. But as you read these, it's more of a positive spin than what you've heard. And so we talked about Ephesus. Yes, Ephesus was the church. They did lose their first love. I'm sorry, they didn't lose it. They left it. They knew where it was. They just walked away from it. They basically forgot about it because they were such a great working church. And they're to be congratulated. Jesus uh, commended them for the five things that they did that brought him glory. They, they were a church that worked. They were a church that had patience. They were a church that endured. They were a church that tested those. They tried the spirits. They hated evil. But one of the negatives that he had about the church here at Ephesus, they not only lost, left their first love, But they also had evil in their church, but he commended them because they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They didn't hate the people, the Nicolaitans. They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We spoke about that last week, that he compliments the church. He praises them because Jesus says in verse 6, Revelation chapter 2, verse 6, But this thou hast, church at Ephesus, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So both Jesus and the church at Ephesus hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We kind of broke that down. We talked to you what they are, Maseo. It's the strongest word in the Greek for hatred. It means to abhor something. And the things that the Nicolaitans were doing, which was causing compromise in the church, Jesus hated. The influence of the Nicolaitans was very harmful to this particular church at Ephesus. The Greek word Nicolaitan, it's a compound word. It means to conquer and laos, the laity or the people. It means to exert power over the people. And they were doing this in a negative sense. They were causing the people to compromise their beliefs. And understandably, and you know, everything, sin is understandable. Sin, you can almost, uh, what's the word? You can commiserate with those who are sinning because of the great pressure that they're under. Here at Ephesus, uh, the people, they had to work for a living like we all do. And they worked in what was called trade guilds, or today we would call them unions. And the trade guilds, basically they were demonic in nature. They would have meetings and you would go to the meetings and eventually drifted into the bow tree. 
you ate meat sacrificed unto idols. There was all sorts of sexual exploitation. I mean, it was just a filthy environment, and the Christians were forced to either quit their jobs or perhaps get fired for persecution for their faith or attend these meetings in order to keep their jobs. And so the doctrines of the Nicolaitans said, look, you got to eat, man. You got to support your household. The Bible says a man, he's worse than an infidel if he doesn't provide for his own family. So they use that kind of logic. They said, hey, man, your spirit's saved. Your flesh isn't saved. Your flesh isn't going to heaven, but your spirit's saved. Go ahead and do what you got to do to make sure you got food on the table, that you bring your tie to the church. We need to make sure the church is healthy, that the church is up and running. And so this was the type of compromise that was happening. They were telling him that surely this type of sin was not going to affect their spirits. The spirits of just men made perfect. Their spirits were saved. They were born again, messing up, compromising with your flesh for the sake of keeping your job, providing income for the church, providing sustenance for your family. That was okay. That's what they taught. And that was wrong. And they were defeating the believers by their doctrines. And you could sum up their doctrines in one word, and it was compromise. Early church fathers commenting on the Nicolaitans said that they were a heretical group that taught that there was nothing wrong with serving Christ while simultaneously participating in pagan practices. Compromises such as this were brought about by the belief that we could buy some type of peace with the world by not separating ourselves from them. Compromise such as this were understandable in their world. You didn't lose your job. Even though Christianity, Christians rules, they were strict, they were strident, they were full of no compromising doctrines. The people who were most influenced by the heretical sect, they were new young believers who just came into the kingdom. Don't forget they came out of this pagan lifestyle. Many of them were even Jews. And it was easy for them to understand. We see it with our millennials today. We're telling them that, hey, Christ may not be the only way. Hey, inclusiveness. The world's going to tell you, if you stick to Christianity, the world's going to tell you, man, that you're intolerant, that you're a hater. And these things go against Christianity. And yet, if we are not Bible-based, if we are not getting the truth from our pulpits, if we are not reading on our own, fellowshipping with the Lord, serving Him, making the Bible our sole source of truth, if we are not doing that, we're going to fall for this stuff. I wanted to point out, today. That, that's just a review I, I picked up from here because I wanted to talk about Rick Renner. He points out that today's church, 2021, today's church, modern church, it's filled with Nicolaitans and Nicolaitan doctrines. Under the guise of inclusiveness and compromise, these people, these Nicolaitans, these promoters of compromise, they have made great inroads into our churches and they're prime culprits of the modern day apostasy that unfortunately is reigning across the globe in our societies today. Rick Renner gives four main attributes, four characteristics by which you can identify Nicolaitanism in your church. And I've got some notes on my own, which I'm going to reference as I read Rick Renner's comments. I'm going to talk about paganism. I'm going to talk about pluralism, but I also want to really hone in on the Nicolaitan aspect of compromise. Number one, there's four aspects. Number one, there is no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. That is the doctrine of compromise. That is what the Nicolaitans were causing to happen in the churches. Most churches today, we're carnal. We have no idea. I was talking with, with my friend uh, Brian. And, you know, our relationship with Christ, we try to deal with it. We try to make it. We try to build upon a carnal relationship uh, with God. And yet God is a spirit. There is no carnal five cents realm aspect to having a relationship with God. It is his spirit in 
fellowship with your spirit through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. Most churches today are so carnal, they don't even recognize when this happens, that there's no holiness in our lives. I was having a conversation with my friend Cameron the other day, and we were talking about holiness. And without holiness, none shall see God. And that means so much more than just a five-sense realm viewing of God, but we in our carnal thinking, that's all that we make it. Well, you're not going to see God in heaven. You're not going to get there if you're not holy, but it's so much more than that. Holiness. Without holiness, none shall see God. You're not going to get revelation. You're not going to see God in scriptures. You are not going to be able to discern truth. You are not going to be able to discern what's right in your life if you are not holy. Holiness. We are sanctified. We are made holy. How? Jesus talked about it in John 17. The truth. The truth sanctifies us. And because there's little Bible reading, there's no emphasis on holy living and separation from the world. We're not making saints holy. Did you know that the word for holy in the Greek, it's hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S? It means holy. And do you know that the word for saint in the New Testament is the same word? It's hagios. Saints are supposed to be holy. God said, be thou holy because I'm holy. We've walked away from holiness through carnality. We didn't wake up one morning and said, we're not going to be holy. We just followed our carnal appetites instead of staying in the word of God, staying separate, staying away from those that would drag us down. There's no warnings given from the pulpits about that. There's no accountability by that. Nobody's holding us accountable to that at all. Doctrines today that tell us, we're getting these from the church, doctrines that tell us we need to accept and embrace everyone. That sounds good. That sounds real good. Love everybody. God loves everybody. Well, that's really not true. Okay, Psalm 5, 5, God hates workers of iniquity. Proverbs talks about the fact that God hates those that are swift in running to shed innocent blood. The abortionist, God hates them. He hates those that lie. He hates those that sow discord within the body of Christ. God does not love everybody. That's just another lie. And yet, because God loves everybody, now we teach we've got to love everybody. And so doctrines like that tell us we need to accept and embrace everyone. No, you don't need to accept and embrace everyone. And you definitely don't need to accept and embrace their lifestyle choices. Ultimately, modern Nicolaitanism does away with the notion of sin and the need for repentance. So point number one, characteristics number one, that your church is full of the doctrines of Nicolaitanism is there is no emphasis on holy living, and there is no emphasis, there's no warnings, there's no challenge, there's no accountability for being separate from the world when we violate those two. Number two, there's no emphasis on the doctrinal teachings of the Bible, and this is so important. Modern-day Nicolaitanism, it dismisses much of the Bible as being too restrictive. And, you know, our millennial kids, they're, they're just subject to all of this. And, you know, we carnal. We approach God carnally instead of spiritually. You know, we copy the world, we dress like the world, we speak like the world, we watch what the world watches, we go where the world goes, we adopt their Bible, their doctrines, their social reforms, and we compare, if at all, the Bible to them, rather than comparing their doctrines to the Bible. The Bible is absolute. The Bible has final authority. Modern-day Nicolaitan doctrines, no emphasis on the doctrinal teachings of the Bible. They dismiss much of the Bible because it's too restrictive and it's too exclusive to other people's beliefs. And we see this all the time. You know, you know, back in the day when the church was being built, it was just getting started maybe 1900 years ago, 2000 years ago. 
you know, the Christians, they they lived in like Ephesus and there was thousands of gods over in um, uh, Pergamus. They had tons of demonic activity. They worshipped Greek idols, Zeus, Asclepius and Diana and others, uh, Dionysus, and they worshipped these gods. So when Christianity came along and people started preaching Christianity, it wasn't too bad. It was just another God. Like Paul even said, I'm preaching to you the God, the unknown God. Well, the unknown God, his name is Jesus Christ. But they just felt, well, he's no threat because we got all these other gods. Come on in, join the party. And the Christians didn't, didn't get in trouble for doing that. They got in trouble when they said, Jesus is the only God. He is the only way to a relationship with the only true God. That's when they got in trouble because they were no longer being inclusive. They were violating the framework of having all these other gods in these pagan cities. And so they said, no, 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 you can't say that. And that's when they got in trouble. They dismissed much of the Bible just for that reason. They say it's too restrictive. They say it steps on other people's beliefs. And so instead of being a guide to absolute truth, Scripture is used merely as a reference as a reference book, a reference manual for motivational sermons and inspirational ideas of life's principles. Unfortunately, we're not getting the life's principles under the direction of the Holy Ghost as he reveals what's been written. We're getting our life's principles based on society. Society is impacting the church. We've got it backwards. The church is supposed to impact society. And what happened? Well, This has resulted in a biblically illiterate church population, especially amongst our young kids. We use society as a guide, as a outline, and the Bible, it just becomes some type of uh, motivational reference book where we can get sermons, where we get principles for building a better marriage or a better business. They contend that the Bible should never be used as a standard to judge anyone. They don't believe in the absolute truths of the Bible. So, two early signs that there is the spirit of Nicolaitanism in your church. Number one, no emphasis on holiness or separation from the world. Number two, no emphasis on the doctrinal teachings of the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine. The doctrines of the Bible are supposed to be where you are getting your truths from, not the societal norms for today. No, you get your doctrines from the Bible. Number three, there's no emphasis on truth or absolute biblical authority. Nicolaitans, they're open-minded. We must consider that both we and the Bible that we believe in could be wrong. That's what they say. And we've seen that in modern-day preachers, leaders of megachurches. They they hesitate to say something that might go against the beliefs of society. They don't want to get in trouble. They'll compromise. And basically, we must not consider that the Bible could be wrong. That's false. The Bible is all scripture is God breathed. Isn't that amazing? God breathed. You got to understand when you are reading the Bible, you are in the presence of God. You know, the only time my wife and I are intimate like that is when we're close together, maybe a kiss and we're breathing, our breath is upon one another. It's the same way with God. You got to have fellowship with God. Just open the Bible. All scripture is God breathed. God's breath is coming upon you. He's breathing life into you. The entrance of his word giveth light. Hallelujah. And so shall his word be that goes forth in the earth. It will not return 
unto him void. You want to have fellowship with God? Open the Bible. He breathes life onto you. Every time God's breath comes, life comes. Remember, it was uh, Elisha jumping on the young kid that died, knee to knee, face to face, belly to belly. He represented God. He breathed the life of God into them. Remember, Jesus, before he sent out the two by two, he breathed the life of the Holy Spirit into them. When God breathes on you, Life comes. When I open up in the Bible in the morning, it's whoosh. God's breathing on me. I'm intimate with him. Life is filling my being. That's what should be happening to you too. No emphasis on truth or absolute biblical authority. The word of God is absolute. God is God. His Holy Spirit penned the Bible. Jesus is the Lord of all things, King of kings, Lord of lords. In the churches, we must return to the absolute authority of the Bible. We must consider, no, that both we and the Bible we believe in could be wrong. No, that is not an option. This mindset has infiltrated and damaged the church very deeply. That it's estimated that more than half of evangelical Christians do not believe the Bible in absolute truth. More than half thats of evangelical Christians, that's me. That means we're just not dead people in religion. We are active. We are energized Christians. We are winning the loss. We are preaching the gospel. We're praying. We're believing God for our families and our neighbors. More than half do not believe that the Bible is absolute truth. That's taking us right back to paganism, folks. And the fourth one, there's no exclusionary belief that Christ alone is the way to heaven. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard big name pastors say this, or scared to say it, that there's only one way to heaven. They assert that everyone has a piece of the truth. You've heard Oprah. Okay, what is your truth? What is their truth, right? No, 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 no. It's God's truth. There is no truth outside of the Bible. They assert that everyone has a piece of the truth. This levels the playing field, making Christianity simply one more truth amongst the other truth that society presents as truth. This kind of thinking eventually leads to what's called universalism. Under their tolerance rule, there are many roads to heaven. According to this mindset, it simply is unintelligent nonsense to declare that Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, the only truth, and the life, the only life. Rick Renner concludes that when these kinds of doctrines are embraced by the church, it produces a powerless, weakened version of Christianity where A, sin is tolerated, separation from the world is ignored, the need for repentance is disregarded. No wonder Jesus hated what they were doing and he complimented the church at Ephesus because they hated it too. And this has led to a rise of paganism. I shouldn't say a rise, it never really left. You know, the Christianity, we confronted paganism back in its advent of the early church years and when Christ was born. And yet now we have reverted back to that. Second Timothy 3, verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And we're supposed to be turning away from these kinds of doctrines. We're supposed to be turning away actually from this type of presentation of the so-called gospel of man. Turn away literally means to turn away, turn your back on constantly. You're doing this all the time with horror. Run from them as if your life depended on it, because at the end of the day, it really does. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. We've gone back to religion. That's what's happened. The Holy Spirit of God is not welcome in the church. The religion, the false ideas of man concerning Jesus Christ have permeated the church. And it's open. It's the big tent theory. Universalism. Let's everybody come on in. We'll make it comfortable. We serve them coffee and donuts. We ask them. We take surveys. Okay, what would you like to see in a church? And then we go ahead and incorporate their likes and their dislikes about 
about church. That's not the church of the living God. That's not the pillar and the ground of truth. That's false. That is a pagan counterfeit of what God expected the church to be. Men do lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's hedonism. Pleasure is the highest goal in life. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, we've heard that big song a few years back, happy, happy, happy. The church wants you happy. God does not want the church happy. God wants the church holy. Get that settled in your brain. Happiness and holiness, they do go hand in hand, but they go in hand in hand in the realm of the spirit, not in a carnal aspect of happiness and pleasure fulfillment. We've got to understand these dangers because Christians most definitely are going to fall into the trap. So they have a form of godliness. They deny the power of turn away. Society is going to have an outward form of religion, but the inward form is not right. Right? You see that in all these preachers that are going out there. They're building great populations, great followings, but there's no power in their churches. Society will have their own form of spirituality, and we've adopted that. We've let it into the church. They will deliberately deny the operation of the Holy Spirit of God. We have our own ideas and our own religion, their own form of spirituality. We don't want to hear it. We have our own message. Pagans didn't have a problem with Christianity believing in Jesus. They were fine with that. No problem. Just keep it to yourself. Their problem was when we said that Jesus was the only way to God. We said it was absolute truth. That put the pagan back on the hills. That put them in a place of defense, and they were not going to take it. How dare we be so intolerant? How dare we be so exclusive? To possess a rock-solid belief Let me read that again. To possess a rock-solid, unbending belief in Jesus Christ and the Bible is viewed as extreme. Yes, we are extreme in today's society. We are viewed as a menace to the direction society wants to take. The pressure exerted on Christians intensifies, pushing them to modify their morals and beliefs to better conform to society. That's why Jesus hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is what they brought into the church. Verse 7, let me close out the church at Ephesus. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. This is the promise. Jesus gives different promises to each church. But here, he says, he that has an ear. Notice, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He didn't say, let him hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. This no longer is a letter to the church at Ephesus. This is a letter to the churches. What churches? All churches. Every church, your church, my church. If one has ears, we are to listen, he says. To what? We are to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. But when we don't let the Holy Spirit of God come in our churches, when our Bible studies are just minimal, when we tell nice stories only, and we only refer to one or two scriptures to promote the truth that we're trying to present from the tales that we're telling, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God. He uses truth to convict the sinner of sin. And that's where transformation begins. But not just as we read these letters, but at all times, even in prayer, we need to follow the Holy Spirit of God. We must endeavor to touch base, to speak to and hear from God because he has a message for us. And then he says to him that overcometh. The Greek word for overcometh is nekeo. This word pictures a a victor or a champion. And he wants us to stay in a mode of overcoming. We don't just overcome one thing. I may overcome a certain sin in my life uh, in April of 2021, but then there's going to be other things that I need to overcome as life goes on. And so it's a lifestyle of overcoming. You just don't overcome once, but you overcome all the time. You overcome sin, you overcome sickness, you overcome the Jesus, uh, overcome disease, whatever Jesus overcame, you've got to overcome. 
come because, hey, I got news for you. Jesus doesn't give out A for effort. He doesn't give out pats on the back. He doesn't give you rewards for nice tries. That's not who he is, and that's not what he said. He expects you to win. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. You are to be an overcomer. You are to triumph. You are to win. He expects you to have the victory. He has given us everything that we need to live victoriously. The Bible says we've already been blessed with all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we're good to go in that regard. He says, I'm going to give you my word of God. I'm going to give you my name. I'm going to give you authority. Behold, I give you might, power, dominion over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says the earth is not worthy that our feet should walk upon it. That's how God sees us. Greater is the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives in you, who lives in me, than he that is in the world. God's able to cause all grace to abound to you, that you have all sufficiency in all things, that you abound to every good work. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He expects us to overcome the world also. I'm Gaia. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.